Uh, we do have a Q&A section. If you didn't hear or see, our filmmaker is here. We'll have a quick bio for it in a second. Uh, before we do that, I am going to just call out all the AASA members. Uh, can you just stand up if you're part of ASA? Asian American Student Alliance. We meet every Wednesdays during lunch. Shameless plug. Um, I'm the advisor. Stop by. Room 146. No, 140. 146. 146. Wednesdays during lunch. Yeah, come through. Um, yeah, everyone else, thank you for coming today. Hopefully, you all enjoy that. And then, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Oscar first. He's going to be our moderator. Um, and so before we transition into the Q&A, um, I just want to do a quick, uh, a brief um, synopsis of um, Adele. So she's an activist and filmmaker with experience in all aspects of documentary production. Her feature documentary, Nailed It, which presents the genesis and culture of Vietnamese nail salon industry, broadcast nationally at PBS in May 2019. It's the highest streamed film of the American Refrain series. Her next feature, State of Oregon, investigates the murder of Lernell Bruce Jr. by a white supremacist in 2016 connecting to Oregon's founding as a white homeland state. She directed a short by the name of name produced by Field of Vision, which has have been viewed over 187,000 times on social media. So now we have a Q&A. Thank, yes. Thank you. Okay. Do I start with the first one? Uh, yeah. Okay. How are you? Yes, What's how going are you? On? <laughs> how are you? I Thank, you. Thank you all for coming. It's so yeah. nice. Do you have any words for anyone? No, I'm going to let you. Really? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So my first question is, what led you to this and what inspired you to make the film? Okay. Um, well, I'm half Vietnamese. I'm from Oregon. I grew up there. Um, and I always wondered, as you see in the film, like why? My dad's a Vietnamese refugee. Um, and if he wanted me to do this thing. When I was graduated from high school, I was like, you know, a side job, but also help my family out, maybe learn Vietnamese myself. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I really was like, why are there so many Vietnamese people that do this thing? Then, you know, I live my life, I go to college, I've been living in New York for some years. And it's interesting there because New York City is the only place where the Asian market is not run by Vietnamese. It's historically run by Koreans, right? So that's presenting even more questions for me. And then Julie and I are at this symposium in 2012, and she's telling me about this organization called the California Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative. So then you have like this chemical aspect that's involved too, and you guys go to environmental charter school, right? So I'm also wondering, I thought I was gonna make a film about chemicals, honestly, and it turned into more of a personal journey. And um, just the narrative about where Vietnamese Americans come from. You know, very specific war history, to say the least. For sure, I agree. Um, the next one is, there's a lot of parts in the film where I was like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> so like, what do you think is the most memorable part of like making the whole thing, and who are you laughing and everything? I mean, honestly, probably the man trap story like surprised me the most, because I knew about the Tippi Hedren story before I made the film, or while I was researching, I was like, that's crazy, you know? And that drew me, to Southern California to just try to reach out to people, Kim, my same last name, you know, getting in touch with people on Facebook mm -hmm. um, to get more information about where they thought the nail industry came from. And 
The relationship with Mantrap came organically because Kelvin introduced me to Mike, and Mike, I asked Mike, like, well, I'm, how did Vietnamese nail salons get to the black neighborhoods? I'm really curious about that. He's like, oh, well, you know, my mom's business partner, Olivet, she's a black woman. She's like a second mom to me. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to go see what this whole situation is about. Met with all Olivet, got on together like a house on fire. I love her. I love Charlie, too. Um... And to me, that story is just as important as the Tippi Hedren story, you know? It's the, the further um, culturation of the Vietnamese nail salon as the standard. Like, we expect the nail salon to be Asian at a certain point in, his, in time. Yeah. Um, so I guess, like, an opposite to what I said before. So you said the memorable parts, but what's something that really stood out to you that was very difficult for you to do for the film? probably find the ending because it's just on and on and on and there's so many different aspects you could delve into so I mean this is only a portion of what I filmed I've actually traveled around the world following the story um, also seeing how I fit into it it's hard to look at yourself you know and this is like a subjective story in that um, you know, I'm a part of the culture, but I'm also outside the culture too. You know, I'm half Vietnamese, my mom's white, I don't speak Vietnamese. And honestly, that's what kept me away from the salons even more than the class thing. Like, more of an embarrassment. Like, I don't speak Vietnamese even though I am, and then that's a whole da da da, you know. And my mom wasn't part of the nail industry. And you see from the film, like, women bring so many people into this industry, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess what I was going to say was, what do you hope audience learning gain from this film? Mm. But maybe like a good follow up would be like, what do you think non Asian people could? That we're not all the same. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I think um, people don't really question it. There was a New York Times series that came out about, importantly, the health of. Asian nail salon workers, but only in New York City. And that's a totally different, you know, uh, group of people than what I'm talking about in this film. When you go to the Bronx and you go to Sunset Park, and then of course New Jersey, you're back to Vietnamese people running the market again, you know? But um, yeah, just we have different histories. We come from different places. It's not always, um, you know, we're not always up to something in these salons, really basic things that, you know, I understood better after having researched the film. And I'm more concerned about what we're doing to improve the air quality of these salons, not just what we're talking about or writing about, but what the follow-up is. Mm -hmm. sure. um, before you talked about working with um, Olivet Robson, Robinson and Charlie Bow, so how, you said it was surprising for them to work together, right? Or it was surprising to like see that type of dynamic between a black woman and Asian? Could you like speak more on that? Yeah, you still don't see that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think it speaks to the character. I think it speaks to them being open to each other. I mean, why have we not seen any other black Asian crossover salons? And since I started making this film, I've met other black nail techs who've gotten their start in Vietnamese salons, which is surprising, right? But sometimes you just have to find the right salon and ask. You know, in our culture, like sometimes things can be perceived as you know, rudeness or straight up rudeness, you know, but that totally negates this other kind of intercultural friendship that we're seeing in Mantrap. Like, there's these stories that exist, so why don't we go into business together? Yeah. You know, why is it just a Vietnamese thing? Yeah. 
That's kind of what people resent about it in a way too. And but you can't hate. You cannot hate on that. You know, it's still holding the culture down, right? When you get laid off, when college, when traditional college isn't your thing, when you there's Bob went to prison, right? And a lot of times, like these jobs are what keep um, people from recidivism, going back to prison, because you have a pathway to a career. And wow, you could even break off and open your own nail salon with your wife, which is what he did. Yeah. And that's a common story, way more common than, well, you don't see that story. So it's another thing that was hard, because I had to bring this whole thing together in the edit into an hour-long film. Yeah. yeah. Um, other question is, Tippi Hedren. Yeah. How was she? She was great, <laughs> honestly. I mean... Yeah, you know, I think some Asians may have issue with her getting too much of the credit, but in my research, my, my looking at the thing over a period of years, I do think that first 20 was the spark, you know, that set this whole thing ablaze, because I know my people too, like they look and copy. I tell the whole story in the film, you see, right? Um, right? Like, so don't hate on that kind of altruism, yeah. you know? There's a chance she might be a Republican. We didn't get that far in the interview. Um, I don't hold it past these. Um, and she's such a fascinating character because she's jump-started multiple things. Like she has Shambhala, the wildcat sanctuary in Acton. Um, she's the reason why there's even a Hollywood section in the Smithsonian. She's behind legislation too about people breeding wild cats. Um, of course, there's that legacy with uh, Melanie Griffith yeah. and the daughter now, yeah. too. So, you know, like, I was starstruck, okay? Yeah. The birds, hello! <laughs> like, I was starstruck. Yeah. Um, and she was really lovely to us, and we did the interview in her manager's house. You know, oh, wow. all that stuff was volunteered. I didn't have any money. Right. Just had money to get, like, you know, a good second camera, lighting, so it looked good. You know, I didn't want to go to Tippi Hedren's house and, you know, not be prepared. Yeah. Sound guy, the whole thing. But I filmed most of this yeah. myself. Um, did a lot of the sound, just running and gunning it. And that's kind of the nature of making these um, documentaries, which is also difficult. You know, yeah. that's probably the hardest part yeah. of making the film, right? Like, I'm a working class person. You mm -hmm. see that. I don't have, um, you okay. know... Yeah, I don't have money around just to make these 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 films, these passion projects, right? Like I also freelance as a filmmaker, so time management, that whole thing, and also mentorship. Like I feel like when I started the film, I was a young filmmaker, and now I'm like middle career filmmaker, right? <laughs> yeah. And it helps to have older filmmakers, older editors around to help guide you. You know, they've been through the process of making a film that goes to broadcast and is successful. And, all of that. You can't just like teach yourself that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess one that's like different, but here in WSA, which is one of our biggest clubs on campus, we try to celebrate our Asian American identities, especially within our students, because we have a very low Asian population. So how has your Asian American identity like shaped you? Right. I mean, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is very white. Um, and I grew up in the 90s, and I think there was even less acceptance of being, you know, uh, a hybrid, let's say, you know, I don't really like the term Hapa, right? But I was different from the people that I grew up around. I didn't like 
necessarily embrace being working class, you know, because we live in a classist society. And like a lot of people, when I went to college, I got woke before woke Mm -hmm. was the hashtag. And you start like exploring your identity and asking questions why and hey, what was this Vietnam War really about? Mm -hmm. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then another follow up would be like, so you talked about how your Asian American identity shaped you. How has the film shaped you? It's allowed me to connect with my Asianness, and I think that drew me to it this whole time too, without it being explicit. You know, um, Kelvin meeting somebody who is very different from kind of one point five generationals. Yeah. You know, like someone who's older than me, not quite old enough to be my dad, but and from a different environment, like straight up here you know where Vietnamese culture is strong because there's more of them right and actually in Oregon Vietnamese are the um, largest minority group that kind of tells you how white it is you know it's not Mexican people it's like Vietnamese yeah. people yeah what? yeah <laughs> <laughs> that my next film is about that yeah can you speak more on your next film? Yeah, my next film um, contextualizes the killing of a, of a 19 year old black teenager outside of Portland, but right on the border of Portland, and um, relates it back to the state's racial exclusion laws that their constitution was founded on. It was founded as a white homeland state, and they actually got a lot of their cues from California. Wow. Yeah. I think I'm gonna open it up to the audience. Sure, yeah. So, do you have questions? Lily. Um, so in terms of production from creed to post, what do you say like was the hardest mm-hmm. um, from trying to get the research and then actually filming yeah. it and editing it? I think getting the research was kind of the easiest part, right? And then it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do with all this information now? And there were different ways this film could have gone. I probably could have just stayed with Mantrap the whole time in a way, right? Um, yeah, because it just sort of started ballooning all the information. Because then it's, it's not just about nail salons anymore. It's about the nail supplies. It's about bringing people over from Vietnam. It's about um, it's spreading across the country. The chemicals, the vitriol, the health inspectors coming to the salons. I had this whole other storyline with Joseph Gao, who was like the first Vietnamese congressperson from Louisiana, because he was representing nail salons in Baton Rouge who were stewing the state for racism, for you know coming into their salons and performing these audits um, just based on the fact that they're Vietnamese people, which happens as well, right? So negotiating the nuance and then trying to get funding from traditional sources that are just going to think that, um, you know, there's something shady going on in these Asian salons. That's where a lot of Americans are coming from, you know, well-intentioned or not. Leilani. Oh, I pitched it. I got grants, too, but even that takes time, you know, like writing the grant, forming the relationship with the organization. I mean, there was interest, too, but things didn't go all the way. And that happens when you're a young filmmaker and you haven't made um, a feature film that's broadcast, you know, like hopefully I'll have an easier time with this next one. But people don't really want to take a gamble. And it's hard when when you're a young filmmaker because you know, narrative, story, you get better with age and experience in telling, in storytelling. Yeah, go ahead. Follow up? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like is the most important 
make a deck. I mean, are you guys kind of doing graphic design stuff? As an independent filmmaker, you kind of have to know how to do a little bit of everything. And I feel like nowadays, I mean, people want a, a visual with what mm -hmm. they're reading. Um, you really want to be able to tell your story succinctly. They call it an elevator pitch. Like, oh. if you were like going up an elevator with some moneyed executive, like, how would you pitch the story so it was undeniable for them to fund or whatever? They call it a log line. It's like two sentences about the whole thing. And I can't even do mine off the top of my head. But yeah, the whole thing was a learning curve because, yeah, it's all storytelling right like how do I just like capture them with a really good story and then of course there's a work sample too that backs that up and the way funding is they kind of want to see the movie done before they give you anything right right there's so many aspects to it I have to say yeah Jennifer it's really important when you make documentaries <coughs> what your relationships are to your characters. And that was a big reason in bringing Kelvin in as a co-producer, because he had relationships with all of these Vietnamese nail salon professionals for the past 20 years. They like him. You see that he's a funny character, you know? Um, and it's access. Like, Cotuan wouldn't have, have hooked me up with Tippy if Kelvin, if she didn't know Kelvin and like Kelvin, you know? There had already been a, tip, a short Tippy film that had come out, right? And it's not like, I'm bringing, I don't have money on the table to like donate to Tippy's wild cat sanctuary, right? So people are already kind of taxed out a little bit. You need to have something to sell them. And for me, it's like, hey, this is somebody from inside the community, working with other people inside the community to tell our story. How many other films do that? Usually it's honestly some white person looking in and telling the story. And that's, it's changing right now the past like five, 10 years, right? It's still hard to get funding if you're one of the first ones to kind of be on that wave and not have the traditional, you know, victim story about Asian people, honestly. <laughs> How many hero stories do you have Asian people? It's usually some victim story, not to put anyone down or that we don't go through stuff, but this is how people survived here and are still doing their thing, you know. It's kind of up to us to see what we do with the information to improve uh, their situation, if their health is bad or this and that, you know. But like I said, I found a different story than the traditional narrative that was told to me about nail salons the whole time I was growing up and all of that, because I didn't grow up inside them. Yeah, and that's part of research too. Like, you want to know what you're talking about, so it takes time to see what the real situation is and develop relationships with people. But Kelvin, you know, he's my gatekeeper. Julie? So what keeps you going? I clearly have a passion for it, you know, it's not like the money or the respect, but <laughs> I'm just being real salty right now. Um, you know, I really do consider my act, myself an activist in a way, even though I'm not with the number of organizations that Miss Julia is over here, you know. Um, I don't know how great an organizer I am. I'm, I'm good at organizing films, and I think documentary films can be used to change legislation, they can be used to organize people, they can be good to, you know, give people access to what's really happening in their communities, and that's coming to fruition more in the next project. Um, yeah. Um, Leilani. 
do you feel like there's a renaissance in Asian filmmaking like this decade? Renaissance? Um, hmm. Honestly, I think us Asian people have to fund more of our own stuff if we want to have that renaissance mm-hmm. that we're all searching for. Yeah, they're not going to do it for us, you know. I'm certainly not a crazy rich Asian. I, I like the representation, I guess, I guess. Um, Hannah? Related to what you were saying um, on the Julie's question, can you tell us a little bit more about the Healthy Nail Salon initiative and what's going on with that? Um, well, yeah, Julie can talk about that. Yeah. So, because so, you all saw a little bit about it in the film, right? The California Healthy Nail Salon. So, I'm also part of that organization. So, uh, the California Healthy Nail Salon works on making the nail salon industry healthier and safer for hundreds of thousands of nail salon workers across the state. So, the collaborative is based in Oakland, but is composed of nail salon owners and nail salon workers all across the state. And so, we work to push local and state initiatives that promote safer and fairer practices. Um, so that also includes like all of you saw one of these when you were walking in. So really pushing like voter and civic engagement, you know, right. while the policy, so Adele her film yeah. talks about the chemicals, the toxic trios, those things don't get removed from nail salons unless there's right. policy behind it. Right. Yeah. So this organization really works to educate, like brings nail salon owners, nail salon workers to actually go to Sacramento on lobby day and actually have nail salon workers talk about their experience. So yeah. currently the last time I checked in with them, they're doing a lot of uh, policy work around making sure that manufacturers actually list the ingredients of the products, like on the products as well as their websites, right? And also have them in Spanish and Vietnamese. Right. So these are things that we don't think about, but it's the same way like when you go to the market, what do people automatically do? You look at the ingredients, right? You look at the calories or whatever. Those are things we take for granted that in a lot of other products that are you know, impacting all of our I'll- health as well, when we go to the nail salon, Manufacturers don't want to include that information and why. We all know why, right? And so the, those are some of the things that the collaborative is interested in pushing. So if you're interested and you want to fill one of these out and you want to get more information on how to get involved, or you can talk to me afterwards. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Did, did have a question? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about your hybrid identity. Ah, yes. And a lot of our students here are actually will consider themselves hybrid. So how is that? That's a renaissance. I mean, it's just so much more commonplace now. I mean, I grew up in the 90s in Portland. My dad's a Vietnamese refugee, okay? He's not like a doctor. Like, my parents didn't meet at college, right? People were not necessarily kind towards us. I think it's way different now. Um, I mean, I have a mixed child. So, you know, clearly Trump is our president, things have never been worse, et cetera, et cetera. But things also get better at the same time. And I just see that within young people, you know, and what's important to them. Um, yeah. Yeah? Did you do a follow-up film? Yes. Oh, my God. One where I went all around the world and just showed nail salons in all the countries that they're at like so many countries um in europe um of course back to vietnam you saw a little bit of um it's so funny yeah it's a great story so do you see this um happening in other parts of the world oh yeah 
UK, um, a little bit in France, Germany for sure, um, Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, um, Canada of course, you know, of course. Um, you know, Alaska's not another country, but <laughs> Vietnamese nail salons there for sure, they're all Vietnamese. Um, yeah, it goes on and on. It's interesting. And it's, fan it's people sharing the information with each other. I'm also interested in which group is gonna come up next, you know? Like I see a ton of mostly Latina women doing it in New York, mostly working for Korean shop owners, but then I see people breaking off and doing their own thing, you know? Um, it's really interesting to me. Yeah, I got my nails done today in Slauson. It was like, of course, all Vietnamese people and Basically, all the clients were Latina, some black women, and that's interesting to me. Um, I see that in the Bronx, too, and there's Cambodian salons in the Bronx. Nepali women do nails in New York City, mostly working for Koreans and, of course, Chinese. And you don't see Chinese nail salons out here. No, maybe, maybe one. Yeah, it's interesting. One more question. Um, like, how do you balance your personal life and, like, making films and stuff? I mean, I think it kind of just becomes a part of your personal life. Like, I have personal stuff going on in my hometown in Portland, Oregon. Well, that's where my next documentary is taking place. <laughs> I'm also screening this film in the Pacific Northwest, you know. So, you find ways to balance it. And then, I, I work for a living, so I do freelance jobs. It gets hard, because you have all this stuff in the air. I actually really need an amazing intern. I don't know, you guys are far away, but okay. Can we put my um, email address yeah. up here, you guys? Right. Just, and I'm on Instagram, too. Let me write this whole thing down. You're right, I'm, um, I'm still working that out, yeah. <laughs> I'm shooting um, hair tutorial videos. Uh, Next week. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, you can ask me now. Okay. I mean, so this is the last question, so listen up. Um, <laughs> so if you could say anything to any young filmmaker that is in this room and wants to pursue it, what would you tell them? I mean, I'd say follow your passion, but, you know, be smart about it. That's why my dad wanted me to do nails. Like, had I listened to him, so annoying. I could have found a way to be working on editorial shoots in New York and, like, doing fashion week stuff. And if you get, like, the right day rate for that, it's great. So he was right in his way, you know? It's, it's weird. It's so weird. Um, relationships, of course. It's kind of annoying. You do, you don't have to go to film school. You really just need to find a guru and be really serious about what you're doing, you know, and make deadlines for yourself then. School's good if you need the deadlines, which I kind of did for my first film. But looking back on it, I could have just like found somebody whose work that I loved and approached them. Because a lot of filmmakers are open in that way. And if one situation doesn't work out, you could try somebody else. And they all need help, you know? And I've seen people like do their whole career that way. Thank you. Yes, Julie. Um, okay. So follow um, Nailed It as well as Adele for Adele on social media. Also, if you really like today and there's people that you want to have to see this film, if you go on to it.
Exactly. And um, the if you want to purchase the stream, somebody else, it's not that expensive. It's $4.99 for the stream. Um, and it is subtitled in Vietnamese, you know, and that's been interesting. Like, I see that people in Vietnam have watched it like 1,200 times, you know, like people have, I had to cut it off. Uh, <laughs> um, 